Before we get into today's episode, first I want to tell everyone to make sure you are staying up to date with all things UFC by downloading and subscribing to DC and Hilwani, hosted by Daniel Cormier and Ariel Hawani. Find DC and Hilwani as well as the Adam Schefter podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast, the Super Bowl 55 edition of the Adam Schefter Podcast. And on this week's podcast, we'll be joined by NBC's outstanding color commentator, Chris Collinsworth, as he talks about his life, career, and breaks down the upcoming matchup in Super Bowl 55 between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then we'll be joined by ESPN's analytics guru, statistician, Evan Kaplan, who provides his own unique insight and information on the upcoming Super Bowl matchup between the Chiefs and the Buccaneers. And then we'll be joined by a trailblazer, the first full-time African-American female assistant position coach in NFL history, Jennifer King, the assistant running backs coach of the Washington football team, will stop by to talk about her journey and her place in history. And so the big game is Sunday, but the big storyline that's ahead this offseason is the future of Deshaun Watson. Want to provide a little insight here as to how this could potentially play out in the weeks to come. And we do think weeks. It's funny because whenever I tweet something, Somebody says, announce Deshaun Watson to the Jets. Announce Deshaun Watson to the Dolphins. Announce Deshaun Watson to the 49ers. Well, I don't think there's going to be any announcements about Deshaun Watson's future for quite some time, and here's why. The player himself, and here's why. Deshaun Watson doesn't want to play for the Houston Texans anymore. That's how he feels now in early February, and I believe that that's not going to change. I believe Deshaun Watson, in his mind, is done with the Houston Texans now and moving forward. And I believe he's not going to report to the team again. Now, he could change his mind. His feelings could change. The new Texans head coach, David Culley, their new general manager, Nick Casario, could somehow get in touch with him, which they've been unable to do until now. And persuade Deshaun Watson, who I believe is a highly principled individual, to report to the Texans. They can decide to levy some of the fine money at him and say, if you don't come in and you retire, we're going to collect $21.6 million in back wages from the contract, which the collective bargaining agreement entitles the Texans to do. They can fine him almost $100,000 for missing minicamp this offseason. They could find him $50,000 a day for missing training camp. They could find him $620,000 for each preseason game he misses. Don't have to pay him for any game he doesn't play. And they could continue to find him and, as I like to say, squat on him and restrict his earning power until he shows up. But I believe Deshaun Watson's got the ultimate leverage. I don't believe the Houston Texans want that hanging over them if Deshaun Watson is willing to sit as long as I suspect, but don't know, suspect that he will sit for as long as I think he will. And so the standoff can go on for weeks and weeks and weeks. Now, we've seen this happen before 
We saw that the Bengals say they wouldn't trade Carson Palmer, and they did. And the Raiders say they wouldn't trade Khalil Mack, and eventually they came around and did. And the Jaguars say they wouldn't trade Jalen Ramsey, and they did. Teams aren't going to say in advance, oh, we'll listen to offers and do what's best for our team. They're going to say what Nick Casario and David Culley said at the press conference last Friday, in which they said, Deshaun has been a great player here, and we have no interest, or the exact words were zero interest, in trading the player. And so what I can tell you is that many teams in the league are just monitoring the Deshaun Watson situation on a daily basis. Teams are plotting about how they can figure out a way to trade whatever they need to go get Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson, I believe, has made his decision. And Houston is sitting back, waiting for Deshaun Watson to change his mind, hoping that they get the chance to make a presentation to him to change his mind. But ultimately, I think they are at his mercy. And I think in the long run, if Deshaun Watson is as dug in as I believe he is, he will win this standoff and he will find his way out of Houston, which leaves the Texans in a position where it's up to them to get the most value and the best package that they possibly can. And you know what? That's what I would do. I would send out an email to every team in the league, 31 teams, including the Chiefs, and say, put your best offer on the table. We're going to make a decision. We're not going to dance around. We're not going to argue back and forth. Give us your best offer for Deshaun Watson. And in a case like that, I'm sure there'll be some offers that jump out. They could go back and talk with those particular teams and figure out a deal that works for the Houston Texans and the other team to move forward. That is a storyline that hangs over this offseason. But the big game is Sunday. And before we get to Chris Collinsworth, the outstanding analyst for NBC, just wanted to point out what an accomplishment it is for the NFL the NFL Players Association, the teams themselves, to get to this point in the first week of February where there has not been a single canceled game, where the Super Bowl is going to happen on time, where the league has served as a model for other people, so much so that they're going to write up their findings in a report for the CDC, for other organizations, businesses to study, to see how the NFL conquered this season. Amazing. We never would have thought that there would be zero cancellations and the Super Bowl would be played on Sunday, February 7th, on time, on schedule, the way it is. And not only did the NFL give everybody something to watch and follow during the week and on Sundays during the season, give some people a diversion, entertainment, but it really became a model to mimic and follow along as others try to take on this virus and try to go on with the world that we knew. So well done, just well done. Incredible. Anyway, now to our first guest on this podcast, a guy that I've worked with in the past, one of the great honors of my career at NFL Network, a man who is as good as there is in the industry himself, a man who has worked Super Bowls, served as the analyst for Super Bowls, but will not be doing this Super Bowl. So instead, we got him on this podcast, the great Chris Collinsworth. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing that you do if you had an extra hour in your day? You know what I would do? I think I'd call BetterHelp. Get a little help, a little mental therapy for all the stress that we all go through on a regular basis. That is excellent time and an excellent way to spend your free hour that has been freed up. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it in the future. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, for how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. We all go through things on a daily basis. Why not let the professionals at BetterHelp help you with whatever issue you're now encountering? If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Adam today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Adam. Chris? Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning. What's up, brother? One of the reasons I wanted to get you on is, and I think you'll remember this, my favorite moment of the year of the football season is after ESPN wraps its Sunday Super Bowl pregame show. And I wander onto the field <laughs> and I kind of soak in the year and I think, wow, I'm getting my Sundays back for the next six months. I haven't had a Sunday off since July or August. I get to sit around. I get to be a normal person. And you get to kind of soak in that whole experience. Last year at the Super Bowl in Miami, I am basking in being done with Sunday shows, taking a deep breath, and I bumped into you, and I relayed those thoughts along those lines to you. And we talked about that. I'm wondering if you remember that in any way, shape, or form, because I remember what you said to this day. Uh, <laughs> I, I have a guess, but go ahead and throw it out there. Maybe I've updated it. Since you said, there, but I do have a guess. You said something to the effect of the ones at the beginning are the best, and every day after that is a countdown until it just begins again. Uh, that that's true. I do call it. I, I do call it the greatest day of the year, the first day after the season, because it's the first day that you really you're out of sync. You know what I mean? Like you could ask me, like if a detective had had a crime scene, and he said, "Where were you on such and such a date during football season?" Right? If he said oh, yeah. that, I would come back and I would go. I was here. I was studying this. I was in the room at this time of day. I was doing this at this time of day, and I was here, right? And and I could place myself anywhere in the world you wanted to place. The, between that first day after the Super Bowl and the beginning of next football season, if somebody came up to me and asked me where I was on a certain day, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea, but it, it's. I, I would imagine your life is like my life. It's so disciplined. It, during football season, every single day, even on the airplane, on the way home from the previous game, those are like valuable two hours, three hours, whatever it is of study time. Mm -hmm. And so it never goes away and it never leaves your mind and you're never finished. And no matter what it is that I'm doing, whether I'm playing with my kids or grandkids or, or out to dinner with my wife, it is always on my mind. Always. Like I'm always thinking every minute I'm not doing football, I'm wasting my time. 
there's something else that I need to be doing right now and I'm not doing it and it makes you antsy. It, it only you're maybe the only one that fully gets it from the other end of this. Well, I, what I would say to you is we had Chuck Pagano on a few weeks ago on this podcast. We were talking about his retirement. I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm just going to sleep. I'm not going to have to do anything. And I said to him that what I think some people don't fully understand, although I think anybody in any line of work that's fully dedicated to doing what they do probably does. You, it, it's, it's not a job. It, it's a lifestyle. It's, you have to live this. Like it's a part of you. It never leaves you, right? Absolutely. And and people think it's actually over when the no. season ends. <laughs> All that starts is free agency, you know, and then it starts the draft. And then it starts for me because of pro football focus and all the stuff that we do around fantasy football and gambling. Then it starts fantasy football season. And it, you know, and it, it just, but I, I'm probably more afraid, Adam, of what I would be if I didn't have it. Like I, I've thought about it, right? You know, I mean, I, I go, all right, what, what would I do? Let's say that all the money in the world <laughs> fell out of the sky and never had to work again. And, but what would I do? I know more people who have a lot of money who are retired and miserable than I know people who are working the way that we work at our jobs. You know, that, that having a purpose, having something that you wake up to do every single day is a good thing. And I, and I think it's a big part of the whole COVID crisis, if you will, not just the health part of it, but the mental health of it. Is that you are out of routine now. You know, you are now doing something that you're not used to doing and you're doing it with people you're not used to doing it with. And, and it's uncomfortable. And for some, it's worked out great. For some, they've gotten closer to their wives and their family and their kids and next door neighbors and all that kind of stuff. But for, for some, it's incredible loneliness and, and, uh, and it's the opposite of that. So, you know, it's, I'm more afraid of not having it than doing the work, I guess is the bottom line. What would Chris Collinsworth's life be like without it? What would you do? Um, you know, right now, the answer is pretty pretty easy because of pro football focus. I mean, that that can be a full-time job by itself. I mean, we have 600-something employees on our way to over 1,000 as we engage wow. in some new things here. Wow. But yeah. So it's it's pretty serious. It's a uh, that's a full time gig. We'll be we'll be doing stuff really all over the world here pretty soon. So uh, that's it's exciting. But I've also been smart enough to realize that that is just sort of a part time thing for me. I have great people in place to run it <laughs> because otherwise that company would be in big trouble. Uh, because there's just no time, you know, there's no time. So I kind of get to sit at the 30,000 foot level and, and, uh, go, yeah, let's do that. And then six months later, somebody's done that, which is fantastic. But it also has allowed me, uh, I mean, I, I have more mathematicians working for me than I've ever been in class with, you know, over the course wow. of, of my lifetime. And can dream up and what they can see and, and the way that, they can turn the NFL and college football upside down and shake it and understand things about the numbers and the math of what decisions should and shouldn't be uh, is just stunning. I mean, it's startling. Every day I'm learning something new now. I had no idea that the company had grown to that many employees, Chris. A thousand? That's crazy. 
it is getting crazy. It is getting crazy. So it's it's been very exciting. We'll have a few new things to announce here coming up fairly fairly mm-hmm. shortly. But um, you know, in the meantime, it's just sort of it's gone a little crazy. But it's been really fun too. It's it's really fun to watch talented young people go to work. You know, well, there's so many, we have so many smart people in that company. Everyone, they tell me something now, I just kind of go, yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> Everything else they say is right. You know, you're, you're 62 now, Chris, right? And you're doing all these things. You're presiding over pro football focus. You're, you're doing NBC. You're doing all the fancy stuff, all these things, all these tentacles. You're at the point you've achieved so much success. If you could scale it back, wouldn't that be the ideal way of doing it, where you still are doing some of what you do, but not all of what you do? Is that possible? Um, maybe. I mean, the nice thing about staying on and doing the football games is that I am on the cutting edge of what's going on out there, right? Yep. You know as well as anybody in the world that uh, I can watch film and study anything that I want to study. But if you're not in the conversation with the people, the decision makers, the uh, the head coaches, the commissioner, all those people, you, you don't fully understand it. Like uh, you can be a talk radio host and you can bring up the issues yeah. and you can, you know, pontificate on what they should be doing and all that. But there also is something to be said for actually knowing <laughs> what's going on. You go, oh, I never really thought about it that way, you know? And so at least you're getting the other side of that story. And I try not to take advantage of it. You know, I always say some of my favorite conversations come when I don't know, because then I can do that. I can sit there and give my opinion and say anything I want to say. The harder part. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I know when I know what's going on and I can't say anything because, you know, and nobody does this better than you. You end up giving advice to people in the league. You end up saying yes. things that you actually see happen or at yes. least adjustments made off of conversations that you have. And some of the relationships that I've built over the years have been exactly that, you know, that they're willing to enter into discussions for me because they know I'm not going to, I'm not going to take advantage of it. I'm not going to say it. And sometimes even I'm around guys at at PFF with their podcasts and everything that they're doing. And you go, "Mm, I I don't know, but you can't say anything, you know, because it's a confidence. And so it's, it's a fine balance out there. Um, I've had a, a few stories go wrong on those conversations which always surprised me. And I'll tell you one day off the air, some of those, but <laughs> it's a, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a wild existence. I, I had no training in journalism whatsoever, but man, you learn fast. You burn one person and it gets around the world in about 30 seconds anymore. You know, you know, it's amazing. That is as apt description of the world that I live in as any I've ever heard on this podcast. Like when I'm having to go on SportsCenter, NFL Live, and they're asking me things sometimes that I know the answer to, that I can't go all the way on, but I want to push the envelope. I want to be on the mark, but I can't compromise some. It's, whoa, what a line you're walking all the time. And then the funny part is, sometimes you could say something where I've gone on there with Chris Mortensen and I, and we're just spitballing, where I don't know something and we're just talking and all of a sudden it gets picked up and 
Uh, as a news story, Chris Morris said this, Adam Schefter said that, and people get worked up. And I'm like, yeah, we were just talking. Like, I, I never discussed anything about it. Like, you learn the meaning of words, the importance of words, the words you choose. Um, I spoke to the social media team at ESPN a couple of weeks ago because we had a couple of incidents where I said, you don't understand something. You can't just put out there something I say without asking me and and going over the word selection because a team Correct. will trade somebody is different than a team plans to trade somebody, is different than a team intends to trade somebody, is different than a team has talked about trading some, like, And people don't understand how important the value and meaning of each word is. Plus, you and I know people around the league, right? Yes. So every every week before the game, I'm interviewing not just the head coach, the quarterback, da da da, all that kind of stuff, but I'm interviewing all the assistant coaches. I mean, not all of them, but the the coordinators. So a lot of these guys become hot coordinators in the head coaching search. Well, guess who's probably the only person. They're one of the few people that's actually met and interacted with a lot of them, yep. you know, and you and I are pretty high on that list. And then I'm also at the same time watching all the film, you know, post talking to them. Now I'm having to go back and watch some of the things that they think are important and, you know, how they do things. And then you watch the game and then you have another opinion because you know what worked and what didn't work that they tried to throw out there. Uh, you're trying to protect the information because you don't want everybody knowing their strategy. But it's amazing how long, uh, you know, and experience counts for something, right? We all like a little gray hair in our pilots mm-hmm. and the ability to understand, uh, okay, this guy told me this and this really did not work, right? <laughs> this really, this, he thought this going into this game and it just didn't work. And so now what are you going to do with it? Well, you kind of point it out, but at the same time, you don't want to bury the guy with right. it because you want to still be able to have that conversation. <laughs> so you can go for short-term wins. Like I can go for try and enhance my Emmy tape at the end of the year or whatever. But at the same time, I know I'm going to be back in that city again three times next year oh, yeah. doing that team again. So the relationship goes on after the game's played. The relationship means more than anything else. And I'm going to guess during the offseason, you get calls from coaches, GMs, president, whoever it may be, saying, hey, we're thinking of doing this, we're thinking of doing that, and they want your opinion on a certain player, correct? On everything. <laughs> they want my opinion on a little bit of everything, just because they know that I know, you know, more of the whole, you know, that it. there aren't many people that that actually know the entirety of the league as as you and i do and i'm not trying to make ourselves out to be bigger than than what we are i mean we're just guys on the fringe of of what they're doing but the connectivity of this league is really significant i mean it's really significant because that's how you move up the ladder that's how introductions are made that this this guy who used to be a quarterback coach, became the offensive coordinator, became the head coach. So now he's got to fill out a staff. And a lot of times the staffs, they get filled out last. So whoever is hired first in the head coaching tree, they get sort of the pick of everything. Because, yeah, I may want to wait for this other guy. I think he's going to get the job. But am I going to turn down this job? Well, no. So then instead of going out and hiring 
uh, other offensive coordinators or former head coaches, the last one hired gets stuck down the list. Well, he doesn't know all those people around the league that are down the list, you know, and that is just to give you a feel for how this whole game works. It's the reason the senior bowl is so important to everybody. That's where they all go congregate and meet each other and try and climb the ladder a little bit. Um, so it, it's, it's an, it's an interesting infrastructure of life, uh, that we sort of get a chance to be on the, on the outside looking in, but sometimes we get to be on the inside looking out too. Yeah, it's inside. It's so true. And you know what? What's interesting is I listened to you explain all this, Chris. I always thought that nobody could understand my world any better than Adrian Wojnarowski. And when he came to ESPN, we have conversations all the time. He'll call me like, ah, I'm sitting on a trade or waiting for a trade or I'm working on this story. And we bounce ideas off each other and he'll know things. And I hear things before they come down. I remember him telling me about a star NBA player weeks before he was traded. And he told me that I'm like, whoa. And he tells me things that he goes through. And I think that's my world. But in listening to you, that's my world too. Wow, that's my world. And I had no idea how much our worlds overlap like that. It's fascinating to me to hear all that and the fine lines that you walk, the juggling that you do. And ultimately, you're right. You come back to the relation. That is the most important thing of all, the relationships, right? Like, man, that is the most important thing. because. Stories are stories. Comments on the air are comments on the air, but you never want to compromise anybody ever, in my mind. Yeah, I, and it can get more complicated than that, too. You know, I mean, uh, the whole Doug Peterson thing, you know, when he played Nate Sudfeld oh. at the end of, right? I mean, yeah. Doug told us about it. You know, he told us that he was thinking about playing Nate Sudfeld in the fourth quarter, that they had made a commitment that they were they were going to really treat this game as, you know, the first step towards the next season sort of thing. And and they wanted to see what they had with Nate Sudfeld. And but so Al and I immediately perked up a little bit and said, yeah, but, you know, the season is still on the line here for uh, the Giants and the Redskins and whatever the scenario was at that at that time. And but they did that. So it's you know, less than a one touchdown game and they pull Jalen Hurts and they go to Nate Sudfeld. Right. And so we bring up what, you know, was said to us and, you know, this wasn't totally out of the plan and da da da. And but then Sudfeld really did nothing. And uh the whole fourth quarter goes by, they don't score. So, you know, the Giants are on the outside looking in the Washington football team yeah. get in the playoffs. Yeah. And and uh, and I'm sitting there watching this and I, I've got one thing in my mind the whole time, but I love Doug Peterson. I really do. I, Jeffrey Laurie, I, all those guys, Howie, I know them all. And I'm, I'm just sitting there watching this thing. And I go, the only thing I can think of is I couldn't have done it. I, I couldn't have done that. it. And I you, said, watched, you said, you said that on air. I, I said, I couldn't have, I couldn't have watched my team fight their guts out for three quarters, right? And there's no question. They went to battle in that game. They were, they went to battle. And, and then the fourth quarter, they pulled the quarterback. And, and so I'm just watching. So I'm the, the Eagles are right below us uh, on that side of the, the field. And I'm watching the offensive linemen and I'm watching, you know, I've been on enough sidelines. I know what's going on down there. And there's, you know, sort of these side conversations. And I just said, I couldn't have done it, you know, because at some point 
you know, you're the guy that's in charge of that decision. And so I tried to soft pedal it a, a little bit, you know, because, hey, he told me he was going to do this. So this wasn't like this wasn't completely out of the blue. Um, but, the, you know, all of a sudden, as John Madden says, the game broke out. You know, you go in with a plan and then the game breaks out. And um, so, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it, you so, have so, relationships. I guarantee you there are people you really, really like that you've had to say negative things about. And there are people that I really, really don't like that I have to heap praise on and say how brilliant they are, you know? And, but it, it's like, you really have to, you get a real moral, ethical feel for who you are as a person uh, as you go through this process, because I'm sure for you to see somebody else break a story that you know, that you told somebody you would keep in confidence has got to make you crazy, right? It's got to make you crazy. Oh, it's happened. Oh, yeah. It's happened many times. It's happened many times. But back to that Doug Peterson incident, when he told you the night before, when he told you and Al, is there any part of you that weighs in with the relationship you have with him to where you say, you sure you want to do that, Doug? Or do you realize what effect this will have, Doug? Or anything to that effect, Doug? Yeah. Al Al immediately said, "What if it's a close game, right? Yep. Because we've seen we've seen that before. I don't want to make it sound like we've never seen it before. We've seen it before, where in the last game they just play everybody and check watch young players. But I had never personally seen it before when the other team and other teams in the league still were playing for something." Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the Eagles had already sat a bunch of veteran players. They were hurt. They went, okay, that's, that's fine. I understand that. And, you know, maybe Jalen Hurts had a little hamstring thing and we didn't see any, (laughs) didn't see it on the field that night, but we were also told that he might have a little hamstring. Okay, fine. But he played three quarters and he clearly wanted to keep playing. We could tell by some of the sideline shots there and they made the decision to go to Sudfeld with other teams' playoff chances still on the line. To me, that was the thing that, that is what created the stir, I think, uh, among football fans. Giants-Eagles would not be a bad Sunday night opener next season, Chris. There you go. There you go. I, I'm, I Believe me, the last thing in the world I want to do is get into NFL scheduling. Fred Gidelli, God bless him, our producer. He works year-round on that thing. He can yep. tell you who's playing where, when, how, a thousand different ways. I want no part of it. That's kind of cool. Now, let me ask you this question. So you and I, I don't know how many people realize this, in 2006, you were doing a bunch of different jobs in one season. You're working for HBO. You're working as a studio analyst at NBC. But you also were the very first color commentary man for NFL Network on Thursday nights. And I was the very first sideline reporter. So we got to work together as the opening Thursday night team in NFL Network with initially Brian Gumbel as the play-by-play man and Bob Papa later taking over for Brian Gumbel. I got to tell you, that was one of the coolest professional experiences of my life, Chris. Getting to work with you and getting to work with Brian, it was unbelievable. What do you remember about working for NFL Network back in the day? Um, it, was, it was sort of made up from scratch, right? And I, I thought... Brian Gumble was one of the great, interesting experiments of all time. And but from my standpoint, and you know, for whatever reason, he moved on to to do other things, obviously. Um, and he's been an unbelievable studio host. But you forget how 
how many skills those play-by-play guys have until you see a brilliant guy who's been in television his whole life uh, and trying to react to that world. Like I always think, what would what would I be able to do if I went in and sat in on a I did the Today Show, you know. I mean, I've been on television. I've read off a teleprompter. I've done things. It's not like it's something completely outside of what I'm doing. But I would have no basis for fact of any uh, opinions I might have and no sort of historical knowledge. And I don't want to say none. I mean, Brett was a, you know, he was a a football fan. So he'd always followed the game. But if you're not in the day-to-day of what's going on with this league, like every day of your life, then you don't really understand some of the nuances of the game, you know? And unfortunately for him, there were so many eyeballs watching him that and waiting for a mistake right and we all make mistakes i don't care who you are i I don't think i've ever talked for three straight hours without saying something incredibly stupid in my entire life so when i'm on live television (laughs) i'm going to say something stupid you can just play bingo with it how many different categories i hit on that particular night but at least i have some basis for what it is that i said um and and it was it was hard to watch because you know, I think Brian, if he'd spent three years doing it, he would have had it. He would have known exactly what he was doing with it because he was that smart. But from my standpoint, getting to interact with him on all the other world issues yeah. and what was going on and, and the, the vast amount of knowledge that he had oh. was so fascinating. It made me think, oh, man, I think I did the wrong thing. How much, how cool would it be to go interact with all these presidents and international leaders and all the different things that are going on in the world? Because he was just such an interesting guy to be around. Well, look, imagine from my perspective, there was Brian Gumbel and the career that he had. And then there was you and the career that you've had. And I'm just this young reporter getting to work with two television legends. It was truly one of the thrills of my career and always will be. Let me ask you this. The Super Bowl is this week, Chris. You've done this game before. What is it like in a week where you are not working the game on air? Um, you know, I, I can't help myself. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I really should not be studying this game, but, you but I am. <laughs> you know, I've got the podcast coming up with uh, with John Gruden and Richard Sherman. And, and you know, I don't want to go on there and sound stupid around those two guys, you know, because they're going to have something. And so. I've kind of been studying the game. I went back and watched, you know, some of John's tape and the and the Raiders tapes, um, you know, when they played these teams. I, I watched the last time these two teams played uh, to get a feel for what happened, which was a wild game. I mean, it was just crazy. It, you know, it, you thought Tyreek Hill was going to have a thousand yards in the, <laughs> way the first quarter of that game was. Yep. And and it just, but I, I think it's going to turn out to be a fantastic Super Bowl. I really, I, I, when I watched the game live, I, I can remember maybe I was getting ready for our game, or I can't remember exactly what it was, um, but it was on, and it would look like it was <clears throat> it was over. It was like seventeen nothing, and even Kansas City left the first drive ball on the three yard line or on the one yard line, was tried a couple of trick plays, had to kick a field goal. And then the game ended up close. I mean, at the end of it, it was they came all the way back. It ended up being 27-24. And the Chiefs had to get three first downs. 
to not punt it back to Brady, which they achieved. Um, and no, no shock. And, and I think the lesson learned, and it's going to be interesting talking to John today on, on the pod is that is the philosophy is, and is the only way to beat these guys is to go for it on fourth down is to play offense. You're just going to have to outscore. There's just no way that even as great as San Francisco was playing defensive football for three quarters against Patrick Mahomes last year, he still got him in the end. He still got him. And he got him on a third down and 15 play. So, you know, just the philosophy of being in that division, playing them twice, beat them once there, their only loss, and almost beat them the second time. It was a Sunday night game, and uh, Kansas City scored in the final 30 seconds to win that one. So this is the guy in John Gruden who I think has a little feel for how do you beat this thing. Do you think that Tampa can outscore Kansas City on Sunday night? I, I don't know. Um, there, there's a couple of things that come into play here. Um, when, when Tampa was trying to play man coverage on Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. it went about the way that you would expect. It's like, why did the chicken cross the road, right? You know the end of the story when you say, well, yeah, we decided we're going to play man coverage on Tyree Kill. And, but they, they switched to a zone in the second half of that game and got butchered. I mean, it was, Kelsey was catching balls left, left and right. And it was, it was ridiculous and going up and down the field until they got to the red zone. They got to the red zone and they had problems and they didn't score touchdowns the way that they were before. And then, so Tampa makes this run. Kansas city comes back the other way. They get it down to the 20 yard line and they go right back to me in coverage. So they just made like two or three stops in zone coverage in the red zone. They go back to man coverage and they give up another touchdown to Hill. So I'm going to guess that you will not see any of that, that man coverage, at least in the red zone, uh, coming up in this game because they had so much success in some of their own, their, uh, their zone defenses down there. And how will you watch this game? You're, I would take it you're not going to be there. I'm not going to be in Tampa. I'm not going to be the Super Bowl for the first time in almost 30 years. Where will you be watching the game on Sunday night? It's a good question because I think I have a couple of tickets for the game. Wow. And, uh, yeah, ordinarily I get – I get some through NBC. And so now, and I'm in Sarasota, I'm in Longboat Key, which is about an hour away. So I can oh. easily get there. Like you, I've been to 21 in a row, something like that. Um, so I am like, uh, do I really want to kill my streak? I'd kind of like to go. My <laughs> kids really want to go yep. and I don't have the enough for the whole family to go. And, and, but I'm, I'm also a little tempted to just, watch it with everybody else. You know, I, I'm a big life experience guy and and I know what a fun day the Super Bowl parties are and being with all your friends and all that. But then you've got COVID working into that. Mm-hmm. And you want to have a big party. So I think we're kind of setting up something where we can watch the game outside. I'm hoping it's a pretty day. And uh so I think that's what I'm gonna do. But I, I I've said that before and then it gets closer to the game and I then I tell my kids you can't have the tickets. <laughs> so, so right now you are going to the game right now, right now. I am not going, not to going game, to the game, but that could change right you know, now. I mean, as of, as of right now, I am not going. You bring up your family. 
What is it like to work with your son, Jack, who's enormously talented and gifted at NBC? And I remember the time that ESPN hired him. And I remember my great boss, my good friend, Seth Markman, texting me and emailing me. He goes, I want to take a look at this clip. Uh, I, I saw this clip of this young kid, Jack. I, I, I know he's Chris's, but I think he's really, really good. And I text, I looked at the stuff. I texted him like, he is really good. He's really good. And ESPN hired him and NBC snatched him away from us. And now you get to work with him. What is that like for you, Chris? There can't be anything better than that, right? It's really weird. And when Jack was hosting that those NFL live shows on, on ESPN, I can't, I, I must have gotten total over a hundred different people that would call me and go, I was watching ESPN and then I heard you on there. And then I was like, why, why is Chris on ESPN? This doesn't make any sense. And I look and it, and it was Jack. And apparently we sound exactly the same now. You do. True, not true. But yeah, you know, whatever it is that apparently we sound exactly the same. And so it, it, it's, it's really weird. And I, I'm going to be really, really, really honest with you here. Yeah. I didn't want him to leave ESPN. Um, Sam Flood came to me and, and it was like at the Hall of Fame game at the beginning of the year. And he said, I just want, I want you to know I'm going to make a run at Jack. And, and I go, uh, I said, don't do that. I go, he's doing great. He's, yeah. you know, he's on ESPN. He's doing all these shows. They really like him, you know, and it's, it's outside. He was not going to hear, you know, I'm his dad. It's just, I go, don't, don't, don't. He goes, I'm telling you, he goes, I've, I've, I've watched all the young talent out there right now. And we need to start rebuilding our talent pool mm. and on the young side. And, and he's, he's like the best I've seen. He goes, I've got a couple other guys I'm going to hire too, but I want him. And I, I really tried to talk him out of, out of doing it. And I tried to talk Jack out of doing it. And, but, you know, they made the decision and, and they put, they threw them into the deep end of the pool. I'm, I'll tell you that post game show by yourself where you're critiquing what happened in the game and you're, you know, giving quick updates on, you know, watch this show and watch that show and throwing it to Michelle for the interview and back. I mean, it's, it's just you in America, you know, it's like, it's like being Walter Cronkite or something. You're, it's just you and America on that television at that point. And God, God love him. He's, he's kind of crushed it. So he's, he's, I'm done happy for him. he's done an incredible job, but, and so you guys get to be on the road together, right? Like, so if you're going to a Sunday night game in Pittsburgh, Jack's with you. You go to a Sunday night game in Philadelphia, Jack's with you. You're with your son the whole time, right? Almost never because he's typically doing a feature or a story or a Notre Dame game oh. or something else. And then, you know, and with the COVID, a lot of times he was getting, he was getting off of a night game in, in South Bend and getting on a, on a red eye or whatever it would be to fly to the West coast to Seattle to do the post game show out there. I mean, it was, they, they, Believe me, they, they're getting their money's worth uh, out of him. <laughs> well, you know what? He's he, doing podcasts. He, he's doing everything. He's, he's young. He's at the age where he should be doing that kind of thing. He's got an unbelievable opportunity. He's got great talent. He's got great guidance. You know, we, we miss him at ESPN. I loved working with him. 
I loved having him in my our ESPN fancy basketball league. He was the one guy I would make trades with. I loved my daughter, Dylan, loved being around him. He's incredibly nice to her. And he was great on the air. And he would have, and you think about how it would have been different. I think he probably very well might have been the host of NFL Live, which means Laura Rutledge wouldn't be doing that, which means our show would be different, which means I would be doing working with Jack every day. So again, but good for him. He's in a tremendous spot and we wish him the very best. So that that's that's just tremendous. Chris, I want to thank you very much for your time. I, I I love hearing about your world, and I never realized how closely aligned our worlds are. Um, amazing. And keep up the great work, and we'll listen to your podcast today with John Gruden and Richard Sherman, the Chris Collinsworth Podcast. So, and, and where can people find that, Chris? Just tell people where they can find that. Yeah, uh, you know, just go to uh, it's on all the Apple podcasts, Chris Collinsworth Podcasts featuring Richard Sherman and there you go or starring Richard Sherman I think I upgraded him to starring Richard Sherman <laughs> see so you get Richard Sherman <laughs> and John Gruden and I get Chris Collinsworth I like my end of the deal there you stuff. go I like I like my end of the it's deal it's a good deal I do have to say I'm cracking up doing this podcast with you because I can hear your phone vibrating in the <laughs> background and t- and that's the number one thing that I have to be careful of. I have to put it on like a like a paper towel or or a washcloth when I'm doing a show for somebody, because otherwise it's just vibrating and buzzing all the time during the season. And I can hear your phone going off in the background. I'm going to tell so you something. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you something that I haven't told anybody. So I'll have the phone with me a lot of times, and a lot of times I'll be in the middle of a great, deep, meaningful conversation. And all of a sudden, someone's texting me, hey, trade, hey, firing, hey, hiring, hey, injury, hey, something. And it's like I'm trying to tweet it while I'm doing the podcast. And I hate when that happens. But it's just the reality of life the way it is. I try to really ignore it for the time that I'm on with my guests. It's disrespectful to the guests. It's not productive to the podcast itself. But you hear life goes on. It never just stops. So we talked about being immersed in living the job. There's an example of living the job, right? Right there. My my wife makes fun of me all the time because during Sunday night football or while I'm doing this with my cell phone going off and all that kind of stuff, she goes, you know, so I'm, I've got six hands going. You were doing the octopus thing, right? Your, your brain's in a thousand different ways. Oh, yeah. And I'm talking on the on national television and Fred Gadelli's in my ear yelling at me to do something else and to do, you know, and it's just this mayhem that you kind of get used to. And then if I'm on the phone in the car and she tries to interject something, she wants me to ask whoever it is on the person, <clears throat> my head feels like it's going to explode. Like, I, I, I can't handle that. You know, I can't handle two bits of information. She goes, you do this every single week. You yeah. do this on the air. You do. And it's, it's like, it's, but it's, if it's football, I can think, I can double think that, but I, I'm, other than that, I'm like, I'm a, such a straight line guy. It's like, I can't do anything but one thing at a time. Well, Holly must be an angel to put up with all that. It, I know it's not easy on my wife and my family. And sometimes they get really sick of it really quickly. Holly loves you though. She feel, she goes, I, I feel like I know him. I read his book. It's, it was a great book. So she well, always tells me to tell you hello. Well, I remember being with her at the Super Bowl last year where we had that conversation uh, at the beginning of this podcast that stayed with me all off season. Who knew that the pandemic and all the craziness that was ahead was actually ahead. So what we expected last offseason when we stood on the field at the Super Bowl together turned out to be quite different. Let's hope that the offseason, this offseason, is better than the one this past year. Amen, brother. Amen. 
And there he is, the tremendous Chris Collinsworth. Love chatting with him. I feel like I could talk with him for about a full day straight and cover so many different topics. And there were so many topics I had written down that we didn't even have time to get to. So thank you very much for Chris Collinsworth. Really appreciate him having me. Now, on last week's podcast, I recommended that people at home watch the two-part documentary on Tiger Woods on HBO Max. And it was outstanding. It was really good. And one of my friends, guy out in Colorado, Tom Manugian, said he watched it and asked if I'd ever met Tiger. And when he asked that question, I'm like, oh my God, I should have told that story on my podcast last week. So instead, I'm telling it this week. I had the chance to meet Tiger once in my life in the summer of 2007 while I was working once again at NFL Network. Here we are, NFL Network again. And each summer, NFL Network would go to the Hall of Fame festivities in Canton, Ohio. And that would occur the same weekend as the Bridgestone Golf Tournament in which the PGA Tour would come through Canton, Ohio. And you'd have all the Hall of Famers and the golf world all in Canton, Ohio, the first week in August, and everybody would be there together. Well, on that particular weekend back in 2007, I was going to bed one night. And at two in the morning, I heard all this rustling and laughing outside my hotel room. And I looked outside that peephole in the door. And there was Rich Eisen, now of NFL Network, Steve Mariucci, uh, Fran Charles, who was the host of that show, my great producer friend, Bardia Shireas, who now works at Fox Sports, all somehow moving a piano, a grand piano, baby grand piano that was in the lobby of the Glenmore Country Club Hotel that we stayed in to block my door and barricade me in my hotel room. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe these guys are doing this. So they're laughing, all drunk, having the fun they are, two in the morning, putting a piano up against my door and they run off. Well, I had to call hotel security to get the piano. And when I did, I said to hotel security, can you do me a favor? Can you send a letter to Rich Eisen, Steve Mariucci, Fran Charles, informing them that they broke the piano and that they're going to be held responsible that the hotel's cameras have them on camera, moving the camera from the lobby to my hotel room and that they are going to be responsible. And so the hotel general manager, a man by the name of Daniel Kirby at the time was kind enough to write up a letter, which I went down to the front desk in the morning and I have a copy in my hand and it was three letters that he sent out, one to Rich Eisen, one to Fran Charles, one to Steve Marucci. And it said, and I read on August 4th, 2007, Mr. Rich Eisen, this letter is in regards to the furniture that was moved early this morning by yourself and several other guests of our club that will also be receiving a similar letter. Unfortunately, the piano that was damaged was the original piano from the Brunerdale Catholic Seminary, which Glenmore went to great lengths to refurbish and restore. I spoke with our general manager this morning, and we will have an estimate of the damage by Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. Once we have that, we will forward a copy of the repair invoice to you and the others responsible for the repairs. Each of you will be charged equally for the repairs. At this time, I can only guess that the cost will be several thousand dollars. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me, Daniel Kirby Jr., Director of Security, Glenmore Country Club. Well, Daniel Kirby gives me this letter at the lobby of the hotel. And I am laughing so hard, I'm crying. Like, I know that Rich and Mooch and Fran are going to freak out. And I take a copy of the letter 
to the hotel gym in the basement. And when I walk into the gym, the only person in the gym was none other than Tiger Woods, who was in town for the Bridgestone Golf Tournament. Now, I've never met Tiger, but I also knew that Tiger knew Fran Charles, who had worked at the Golf Channel. And so I couldn't help myself. I went over. I introduced myself. I said, you're not going to believe this story. He saw how hard I was laughing. He had to think I was out of my mind weird because I tell him the whole story. I give him the letter. He laughed. I don't think he found it as funny as I did. But that day when I got into the car to drive to the Hall of Fame festivities, Rich seemed nervous. Steve Marucci seemed nervous. And Fran Charles is on the phone with his agent calling to tell him that he's got to get in touch with NFL Network Management to explain the situation, that there was nothing intended, that he's happy to pay the fines, and Fran Charles was losing his mind, freaked out. Eventually, it came out at the end of that ride that I had set them up the way they put the piano in front of my room. And that was my one brush with Tiger, getting to meet him in the basement of the Glenmore Country Club, which had the baby grand piano in the lobby, which wound up in front of my door, which resulted in the letter sent to each of the men that I worked at the NFL Network. All right. Anyway, my little story there. How about for some more stories and some more insight? Let's go to Evan Kaplan on Super Bowl 55. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. All right, and here we are before Super Bowl 55. There's no other person I'd rather preview it with than the man that has previewed every single week of this NFL season, Evan Kaplan, the ESPN analytics and statistical guru, my friend, my colleague, Evan, thank you for the time today. And thank you for the time all season long. Of course, Adam, it's uh, great to be with you again. And, and for the, for the last time scheduled in our, our 2020 season, but uh, this is, this is really a matchup that I'm looking forward to. Hard to imagine that we've made it to this point on it time, is. the game is happening. I mean, really, think about that before we get into the matchup for just a moment. What would yeah. what would have been the odds if I had said to you back in July or August when camps were opening, hey, mm-hmm. you and I are going to be talking in early February, previewing Super Bowl 55. There's going to be no cancellations. The game's going to happen. What would you have thought if I had told you that back this summer? It's been amazing, and it's been, I think, the most unique season that any of us have been a part of, but – at the end of the day, we've been able to to watch and cover and talk about some great games and teams and performances, and we've got one more matchup to do it for. It's been it's been a wild ride, Adam, but but I think everybody is looking forward to what we're going to see on the field in Tampa Bay on Sunday. And with that in mind, Evan, let's put this matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers into some historical perspective. What do we think there? There, there's so many different angles to touch on. I think the first one is, it, it's, it, as we talk about the uniqueness of this season, of course it's fitting that in a year where most teams didn't have fans at their stadiums, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will become the first team in NFL history to play a Super Bowl in their home stadium. Now, there will be some fans there, but just the whole backdrop of the year and, of course, this happening this season is interesting. The quarterbacks are where it's at, right? And Tom Brady, you you can't say enough about him playing in his 10th Super Bowl. He's looking for his seventh Lombardi trophy. He will have played in 18% of all Super Bowls in NFL history. 
And one of the ways that I've tried to frame it as we've kind of the buildup over the two-week period, if you break down Tom Brady's career into two separate decades, he's, he's, he's a surefire Hall of Famer in each decade. His first decade of his career, four Super Bowl appearances, three Super Bowl wins, a couple of NFL MVPs. Now in this de- decade, this will be six Super Bowl appearances. He's won three more. He can win a fourth. He won another MVP. And t- you can't say enough about and doing it in his first season with a new team in Tampa Bay and, and can join Peyton Manning as the only starting quarterbacks to win a Super Bowl for multiple teams. And this, just the level he's playing out of the last seven games, I know he threw some interceptions second half NFC Championship, but he's certainly a major reason why there's why they're in this game. And I think about Patrick Mahomes on the other side, who is putting together maybe the best start we've ever seen for a quarterback in NFL history. <laughs> and I, th- I always like to draw the parallels. And, and that's what I think is so fun about this matchup is that Patrick Mahomes can become the first starting quarterback to win back-to-back Super Bowl since Tom Brady with the 2003 and 04 Patriots. Patrick Mahomes is 25 and one in his last 26 starts, 25 and one. Wow. The last quarterback to go 25 and one over 26 starts. Tom Brady. Tom Brady and the 2003 and 04 seasons. There's so many great angles with these two quarterbacks. And I think Adam, let me throw throw this one at you as well. We, we talk about, well, it's the greatest quarterback matchup in, in Super Bowl history. And, a lot of times people talk in terms of hyperbole. That That's not hyperbole. This is the first Super Bowl ever between starting quarterbacks who have previously won both an NFL regular season MVP and a Super Bowl MVP in their careers. That has never happened before. And one other thing, Tom Brady's 43 years old. Patrick Mahomes is 25. Yep. And this will be the largest age gap between starting quarterbacks in Super Bowl history. And so Brady's still going at a level when most people are retired and Mahomes is at a level that young players don't usually get to, but he already is. It, and I think it's one of these games that you, that maybe two decades from now, mm-hmm. you look back and you say, wow, how cool is that? That Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes got to square off in a Super Bowl when Mahomes was in the early stages of his great career. And Brady was at the tail end of his right. great career. It just, I, I think it's worth just stepping back for a moment and recognizing the significance of this matchup, which we'll be talking about all week long, obviously. I, I totally agree. And and you think about some of the greatest matchups in Super Bowl history from a quarterback perspective. I think I think John Elway and Brett Favre comes to mind. Yeah. I was there. That was Terry, Brad, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Staubach. I mean, in all think about all the Super Bowls in NFL history that there haven't been a ton of matchups, John Elway, Joe Montana, a ton of matchups between surefire Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Hmm. And I think that you could make the argument if Mahomes win this game, if he were to retire on February 8th, he probably already has a resume to get into the Hall of Fame. We, we know and hope that he'll be playing for many decades into the future. But these two quarterbacks are, you know, like we said, We'll see them in Canton one day, and now we're seeing them with Tom Brady, 43 years old, still playing at a very high level, and Mahomes, you can't say enough about the start to his career. Um, should be There's so many great historical angles to cover with this one. All right, you know what, Evan? Let's move it on the field, right? There's so much that we could talk about off yeah. the field. Let's go to on the football field, and let's look at a key matchup 
or a key stat or a key assessment yep. when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the football first? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the big thing is whether the Buccaneers offensive line and Tom Brady can deal with the Chiefs pressure. Now, let me let's talk about what we mean by pressure. It's not necessarily sacks because the Chiefs are only 17th in sacks uh, this season. But if you look at the pressure percentage, so that's how often they're putting Tom Brady under duress when he has people kind of at his feet uh, in his throwing lanes. The Chiefs had the highest highest pressure percentage by a team in the last decade. So you think about Steve Spagnuolo certainly has a history against yep. Tom Brady in the Super Bowl back to Super Bowl 42. And Tom Brady at 43 years old, as well as we've, I, we just talked about him playing, he has not dealt with the pressure this year. Zero touchdown passes six interceptions on passes when he is under duress. So that will be a huge key for the Buccaneers offense and the offensive line as to whether they can keep Chris Jones and Frank Clark and that Chiefs defensive line away from Brady. Now, I don't know if you're going to go to the same spot with me when we bring up when the Chiefs have the ball, but what I would say to you is that essentially the Chiefs are without three top offensive tackles in this game. They're mm-hmm. without Mitchell Schwartz. They're without Eric Fisher. And obviously, Laurent, Laurent Tardif Duvernay. What's that? Laurent Duvernay Tardif. Yeah. Christine, and of course, Laurent Duvernay Tardif opted out before the season. So that's three offensive tackles. And we've seen, we've seen what pressure can do to these quarterbacks. You're talking about what it does to Brady. And I don't think Mahomes is immune to that either. I completely agree, and, and great call because that is exactly where I was going to go. I think that is the biggest factor for this game that I think people you'll, you'll hear talked about more and more leading up to Sunday, but that's a huge deal. They're missing their tackles and Tardif in the middle, and the, the way I kind of I thought about it was in, in Tom Brady's three Super Bowl losses, what has been the factor that's beaten them, it's been the defensive lines. It was the Giants twice in Super Bowl 42 and Super Bowl 46. And in Super Bowl 52, when the Eagles beat Brady in that high-scoring affair, it was Brandon Graham's strip sack late in the game that really clinched the win for the Eagles. So how great would it be if Tom Brady, at 43 years old, in his 10th Super Bowl, looking for his seventh ring, if it was the defensive line that really helped him get past Mahomes? with Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett and, and Sue on the inside, I think that that will be, you know, that's a big a big issue, I think, for the Chiefs offense. And then the other thing, which I think it goes, it, it'll have to work together between the Bucks offense and the Bucks defense. You you can't let the Chiefs go on one of these patented runs. To me, I, I equate it to like a basketball team, whether it's some of the great NBA teams we've seen, the, the Lakers, the Warriors, Celtics throughout history, they would go on these crazy runs and it would just be an avalanche that you can't stop. Well, the Chiefs do it in the NFL. They've scored at least 20 straight points 13 separate times over the last two seasons. And when they go on these runs, they just – we saw it in the AFC Championship, right? It was 9 nothing Bills, and then all of a sudden it was 21-9 Chiefs and the game was over. So if you're the Bucks defense, you've got to try and limit those, those scoring opportunities – and the Bucks offense, even if it's a field goal drive, just to kind of stabilize things, I think that would be very important. Well, and we also have seen what happens when the Chiefs go down. It just seems like they're in a better position down at the beginning of a game than they are any other spot. And they can come back just like that. They have come back just like that. And almost if you get a lead and force them to throw, 
it's almost like doing them a favor and putting them in a position that they want and need to be in. Yeah, it's incredible the way that, and we saw in the Super Bowl last year too, right? And I think that goes back to what we talked about with with the Buccaneers defensive line. Can the Buccaneers defensive line do what uh, Bosa and that great 49ers defensive line did in Super Bowl 54, where they had a 20 to 10 lead and it, it looked like the Niners were going to win the Super Bowl. Now, if the Bucs are in that same spot with a 10-point lead late in the game, can they close it out? Because we th- this Chiefs team is just – they're never out of a game, and they can score so quickly um, that, it, that that's, that's going to be a huge factor in Super Bowl 55. We never do this, Evan. I don't think we've ever done this, but I'm going to ask you it anyway. Who okay. is going to win the game? Wow. I, I think the Chiefs are going to win, but I think it's going to be a very close game. I, I don't think – I don't I, – Tom Brady has never gotten blown out in the Super Bowl. The three Super Bowl losses have gone down to the very end. And um, I just think it's it's too much Mahomes and Hardman and Hill and Kelsey. They just have – it's just too many weapons. And I think yeah. that the defense will make enough plays. I, if, if you're telling me to give you a score, I'll, I'll say 31-27 Chiefs. Yeah. Well, Tom Brady has gotten blown out of a Super Bowl. He got blown another one in Houston. He just came back and won the game in the fourth quarter after he got blown <laughs> That's out. That's great. That's a great line. I love that. <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah, 28 to 3. It doesn't get much more of a blowout than that, I guess. <laughs> they were blown out and then they won the game. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> Evan, we appreciate all the time and insight you provided this season. Thank you very much. I know we'll be in touch soon. Appreciate everything that you brought to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. Always great to be a part of it. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. A special thanks to Evan Kaplan for all his insight on this matchup and all the games all season long. Outstanding job by the great Evan Kaplan. And now our next guest, Jennifer King, the Washington football team assistant running backs coach, the first full-time African-American female assistant position coach in NFL history. Jennifer King. How's it been going with the announcement that you are the first black woman to become a full-time coach in the league after being promoted to assistant running backs coach just recently. It's been it's been kind of uh, kind of busy, you know. Um, you know, in my mind, it wasn't a big deal, but uh, it definitely was to everyone else. So I've uh, gotten a lot of requests, and um, just really seeing the magnitude um, of the position that that I'm now in. How have you felt the magnitude of the position that you're in, Jennifer? Uh, I mean, nothing's really changed for me. Um, you know, I'm still <laughs> doing the, the same work. And, you know, the only thing that's really changed is, you know, how the, the public has, has now viewed me as just kind of being, uh, you know, the first to do this. But uh, for me personally, uh, not a lot of change. What does it mean to you to be a trailblazer? Has that sunk in? And what does it mean? No, it really hasn't sunk in to me. Um, you know, like I said, I just kind of going about my, my day and going about my work. Um, you know, I think, you know, one day I'll, I'll take a, a moment to kind of take it in and, and realize uh, that it was kind of an important and monumental hire, but um, it's not really something I've thought about. And Jennifer, it was an important and monumental hire. And when it came down, I'm sure you must have gotten a lot of messages, 
a lot of communication, or maybe in a time of COVID, maybe it's not quite as much, but is there any message that came your way that impacted you and stayed with you? Uh, to, to hear Billie Jean King uh, send a, a personal message was, was big. You know, she's someone I always looked up to just for, you know, the barriers that she broke and the things that she did, um, you know, in the tennis world and in the sports world in general. So to hear her I sent a message really meant something to me. See, Billie Jean King, how unbelievable is that? What did she have to say? Just congratulate me on, on the, the hire and, um, you know, wishing me well. And, um, you know, she's done great things with the Women's Sports Foundation. And I've been lucky to be a part of that. So, um, but it, it's still kind of surreal to hear her, you know, sending <laughs> in a direct message to me. <laughs> and when you see Billie Jean King, wow. Like, I mean, she, that, that's about as big as it gets there, Jennifer. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't get too much bigger than really being king in the in the sports world, uh, especially for female athletes. So, um, you know, it really meant a lot. How does somebody go from North Carolina to Guilford College to becoming a trailblazer the way of? How does that happen? Uh, it's been quite a journey. You know, I was coaching college basketball. I was happy coaching college basketball and successful. And, and one day, uh, you know, I just, this dream came to mind once I saw people like Katie Sowers getting an opportunity in Atlanta at the time. And um, I started, you know, putting things in motion and, and coaching football at some smaller levels. And ultimately I was able to meet Coach Rivera and build a relationship. And, you know, once I did that, I knew that's what I wanted to do. So uh, I was fortunate enough to have some people in my corner and then, you know, I put the work in and, um, you know, every opportunity I got, I tried to make the most of it and really just kill it. And it kept leading to more opportunities for me. And, and, and so when you meet Coach Rivera, does – he have an instant connection with you, an instant liking. What was that like? Because there aren't a lot of people that get to meet an NFL head coach and form a bond of some sort. Yeah, it was kind of funny because we were I was at his round table at this event and um at the time I was the head coach at Johnson and Wells University in Charlotte. I was next door to the Panthers facility. Yeah. So in my mind at this table I have to find a way to let him know where I am, who I am and what I want to do. And I was able to do that and uh, we just really just started building the relationship from there. And when he invited me over uh, for Ricky minicamp, you know, in my mind, I was just there for two days and I went to, to work and showed him that I was serious about it. And those two days ended up being four months. Huh. And after it turns into four months, what's going through your mind at that point? Is that something that you're saying to yourself, well, I can do this. I want to pursue this. Absolutely. I mean, after the first day, you know, I knew that this, that's what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to, to be able to stay and he said that I was serious about it and that I had some coaching ability and uh, football knowledge. So, um, you know, those two days were kind of my, I guess my interview. Um, and then it turned into something much bigger. Jennifer, each person in their own job gets fired up about something like there's something about it that you like. So you knew that first day that you love the coaching thing. What was it about the job that got you going? I think I'm such a, I'm such a competitor. Um, you know, I've always had a competitive spirit when I played, when I coached. And, I, you know, I was one of those, those athletes and coaches. I want to win everything, and I want the, the trophies and the rings. But as soon as I win them, in my mind is how do I get another one? You know, I'm, I'm kind of that kind of competitor. I didn't really want them. I just want them because that means I won. And, um, you know, to be able to compete at the highest level and work with the highest level of athletes, um, it was really appealing to me. Now, looking back at your past – you also served as a police officer for a couple of years in North Carolina, correct? Yes. And a flight attendant too, correct? Uh, I wasn't a flight attendant. I worked um, on outside. So the people you see loading and unloading bags, that was me. So you unloaded and loaded bags, and then you became a police officer? 
Uh, I did that after uh, the police department, actually. And how come you went from the police department to loading bags? What was, where were you at that stage? You're like, how, how does that happen? Yeah, it, it gets even a little more, more, more crazy. I left the police department because I received the, my head coaching job, my basketball job, and I moved to Charlotte. And um, when I was there, one of my friends had a part-time job with the airline. I realized the flight benefits I could get by doing that. So I just found a way to make it work with my busy schedule and uh, was able to do that. And how long did you work for Delta for? I, were, I was there almost two years. And did you take advantage of some of those benefits that they provided? Absolutely. Um, weekly. <laughs> Flying all over the place. You know, I would go eat dinner with friends in New York or, you know, anywhere I wanted to go. I, I just kind of treated it like my, my personal Uber. That's what my sister used to tell me. <laughs> it's, it's nice to have airlines as a personal Uber, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. It's much quicker. <laughs> uh, that, that's that's pretty awesome. So let me ask this question. So you, you've gone from working in a police department to working handling bags for an airlines to coaching basketball to now making history coaching in the National Football League. What do you envision lays ahead for you in your future? Man, that's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, my coaching adventure so far, I've been patient. Um, and I was an assistant for nine years before I decided to be a head coach. And um, you know, this role that I'm in, it's not something that I'm, I'm rushing to get out of. I'm anxious to learn and kind of be where my feet are and uh, just continue to grow as a, as a coach and as a person. So uh, we'll see what happens down the road as far as a career. Do you aspire to be a head coach one day? Um, it, it's crossed my mind. You know, it's hard not to picture yourself in the number one spot, you know, just, to, just being a coach in general. Um, and, you know, being able to do that in basketball, it would be uh, something that would be exciting in football as well. And what would you say to all the young girls who are out there who aspire to be like Jennifer King, who aspire to make history, who aspire to do things that haven't been done in the past, where there have been barriers that are starting very slowly to come down? What would be your message to all these girls out there like my 12-year-old daughter, Jennifer? I think it's so important for them to know that they're so powerful, they're so strong, they can do anything that they want to do. Um, you know, not saying that it will be easy and you know, there, there won't be times where you're going to fail. But, you know, I learned from Coach K. Yow to always fall forward to something she talked about. And um, I think it's important to do that, you know, in your career path. And, and having that mindset of really, you know, being really, really good at what you want to do. Because, you know, if, if you're so good, you can't be denied ultimately, you know, at what you're doing. Um, and I always go back to, you know, the, 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 the NASA women, who the black women at NASA who helped, helped us get to the moon. You know, they were so good that they couldn't be, did not, even because they were, you know, black and female in the 60s. Do you often stop to think that you could be shaping the thinking of young women across our country? Uh, it was something I never really thought about until I started receiving messages, you know, from people saying that, you know, now their their girls are interested in football or, you know, their, their daughter wants to play football or coach football. And, you know, when you start getting those messages over and over again, it really um, lets you know how important, you know, the role that you're in um, has become. Hey, Jennifer, I really appreciate you taking the time today. Continued success in the coaching profession. Congratulations on all that you've overcome and all you continue to achieve. And we wish plenty of more good things ahead for you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And there is the trailblazer and history maker, Jennifer King. And there is our Super Bowl 55-week podcast. I want to thank my great producer, Christina Buswell, for putting up with me and putting together this podcast. I want to thank our guest, Chris Collinsworth. Love talking to that guy. Could talk to him. Anytime, anywhere, 
at any length of time about any number of subjects, and I would be fascinated by everything that he says. I want to thank Evan Kaplan for helping us out this week and every week, all season long. And I want to thank Jennifer King for being with us as well and sharing some of her time. And I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. It's been an incredible year, a memorable year. We've had some great guests, and hopefully you've enjoyed them. We'll continue on all during the offseason, every week with this podcast, and try to make it timely and informative and entertaining as we bring you guests that pertain to the upcoming NFL free agent period, all the movement that's going to take place with the quarterback carousel, the NFL draft. We'll be back in this spot every single week bringing you different guests, interviews, insights, and information. Please join us each week. And until then, enjoy Super Bowl 55. Be well and stay safe.